Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Come on, who's, who's grateful for the cross tonight? I am so grateful, so thoroughly grateful. I know that many tonight, you're like, maybe you're brand new. You don't normally go to church. And you're like, why do Christians get so unusually, annoyingly excited about Easter and about the cross. And uh, I'm going to do my best to talk a little bit about that tonight. You guys doing good so far? Who's grateful we live in California? And everybody else is getting snow right now. I got friends in Colorado that are getting snow. Idaho got snow this last week. And I just said, Lord, thank you for delivering me and bringing me to the promised land. It reminds me why we live in the state that has the ugliest multi-million dollar houses in America. It reminds me why we tolerate the crazy politics of our land. It reminds me, I'm like, dear God, it's because we live somewhere that we can do church out in tents at nighttime in the middle of the winter all year round. Praise God. It's like four enthusiastic people. God bless you. Like, it's, it's good. It's not that good. Uh, but I'm excited that you're here tonight. Uh, truly is a joy for Rochelle and I to see what God has done. It really, uh, it, it feels, people ask sometimes, they go, Mark, it's crazy to see how the church has grown, how so many amazing people from all over L.A. County, Orange County, San Diego County, we have people coming from the Inland Empire. Empire Strikes Back, come on. They're driving in from Palm Springs. Uh, it's crazy, and, and people go, Mark, what, what's it been like? I said, honestly, if you've ever seen the footage of uh, a Warren Miller movie of the skier outrunning an avalanche, that's kind of what three and a half years has felt like, the tuck position and just trying to stay out of the avalanche. Can I get an amen? But it's been an amazing ride. So excited to see what God is doing. How many believe that God loves Orange County? I really do believe this is a special place. It is the home of, uh, as many of you know, the Jesus People Movement. Some of the great movements of the earth with Vineyard, with Calvary Chapel. You look back to even uh, about 40, 50 miles north of us to Azusa Street in the early, yeah, come on. My mom's excited about it. But I want to tell you, man, we're, we're, super, we're super excited because historically there's been something geographically about California that has had the ability to impact the rest of the earth. My wife and I moved here because if God was to revive most states, it would change those states. California is very unique in the fact that if God does something here, it will not stay here. How many of we don't live in Vegas? Come on, somebody. This ain't staying here. If, if God changes Orange County right side up, what happens here will impact L.A. County, San Diego County. And when these three counties come to God, look out, California. Do you believe it today? So God has been moving. People all walks of life. I love hearing stories week after week about people that don't believe, people in crazy lifestyles, people that are anti-God, anti-church, anti-religion. I love hearing about our college students that are servers and baristas. And they're inviting these people all over. Some of you came because one of our young people said, you should come to our church. Some of you said, I don't go to church. And they said, exactly, you should come to our church. And, they, and some of you said, no, you don't understand. I don't like church. And they said, no, you don't understand. You'll like our church. You don't get it. I don't believe in God. I'm like, no, you don't get it. You're going to like it anyways. I always tell people, even if I didn't believe in God, I'd still go to church here. That's audacious. Why? Because it's hard to find good news in the world. I don't know if you notice, it's hard to find good people. If you're single, come on, it's hard to find a good girlfriend. Hey, 
I always say better to find them in the church than the club. Can I get a witness? Hey, that's good preaching right there, preacher. But tonight, I, uh, I do want to open up the Bible. This is Passover, or excuse me, this is uh, Good Friday. Passover's last Sunday. It's been a busy week. Um, but if you have your Bible tonight, turn me to Luke. And uh, if you've got your Bible, if you don't have it, we'll put it up on the screens, I think. Luke chapter uh, 23 is the uh, chapter. And uh, Jesus was pretty busy. That last week while he was on the earth, as you've, uh, some of you studied out his last days, Jesus didn't just enter into Jerusalem and go straight to the cross. We know that in between, he, he confronted corruption. He actually dealt with hypocrisy. He overturned tables. He healed blind eyes and sick bodies. He feeded hungry people, and he even washed some dirty feet. In other words, Jesus wasn't just about getting his ticket to heaven. He was about bringing heaven to earth. And tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about the password to paradise. The password to paradise. If you got your Bible tonight, come on, say the password to paradise. I do believe that what I share with you could impact your eternal, eternal existence. Pretty audacious statement. Uh, the truth is, I know there's people that don't believe tonight, and you can, you can scruff this up as nonsense, but I would encourage you just maybe to lean in a little bit, crack the door to your heart, because if, if for some chance I am right, this message is very, very important. Hypothetically, if I'm wrong, it doesn't really impact a lot of things. That's the fun part about being a believer in Jesus. If we're wrong, we don't miss out on anything. But if you're an atheist, you are missing out on everything. So I would say that I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Can I get a witness? I actually believe that if I am wrong as a follower of Jesus Christ, if I am wrong, I will live a morally sound, sound life. I'll marry, come on, I already did, a very good-looking woman, come on. I'm going to have a great marriage. I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to be a great neighbor. I'm going to forgive you when you cut me off with a one-figure wave. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be solid. And if I'm wrong about Jesus and the resurrection and eternal life and paradise, if I'm wrong in my beliefs, it impacts me with nothing if I'm wrong. Some of you, though, that are betting your eternity on, I don't really like this God idea because I don't like how bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. I don't like that there's evil in the world. I don't like the fact that God tolerates some things, how he isolates some people groups. I don't like that it's bigoted. I don't like that it's homophobic. I don't like that it's X, Y, Z, or the other. And I want you to know that this and tonight, I would encourage you to actually just crack the door because if by chance a bunch of us here are right, this will impact eternity. You ready to go? So Luke, it says this, 2,000 years ago, I know this is history, this is not fictional tonight, we are reading, this is, a, this is real literature, this is not Fairy Pothead or Harry Potter, um, this is not a Twinkle, Twilight, the Starvation Olympics, or the Hunger Games, come on. Not even the smart or the curious, the queen of the necklaces, the lord of the rings, I can go all night. As you can tell, I've been watching any movies in a long time. Let's, uh, let's read this tonight, though. Uh, I do want to say, I, I, if, here at Ocean's Church, I, I do my very best to read the Bible, to teach the Bible. I do a lot of research, and I pray a lot. But I do, I, for some reason, when I came to faith in 2002, God did not rapture my sense of humor. So please forgive me if you don't like laughing, if you are allergic to having a good time. You might break out for the next few minutes. Um, but we're going to enjoy it anyways. If you believe it, come on, say amen. Our church is a little bit rowdy. We say, we talk back a little bit. Um, that's obnoxious. No, it's obnoxious, I think, to be, to be un, unmoved by something that changed your life. You win the lottery, you don't sit there like the cover girl for the Book of Lamentations. Come on, somebody. 
you win your uh, whatever sweepstake. I don't know what it's called anymore, but you win a sweepstakes. You win a cruise. Publishers, is that what, is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, that was... My grandma used to always talk about that. She didn't play the lotto, but she's like, I could win the publisher sweepstakes. Um, but if you win something, you're excited about it. And I want you to know that tonight I'm talking about paradise, so it's okay to get excited about it. All right? So uh, let's go here tonight. We're going to read a few verses together, beginning in verse 26. I'm going to read just shy of 20 verses, so stay with me. Everything I talk about is connected to these verses. I'll read them. I'll pray. I'm going to share a story or two, and then my goal would be to give you about four things that you can leave with tonight, think about tomorrow, and make you so fired up you want to come back on Sunday. Y'all ready? My goal on Sunday is to do something good enough to make you want to come back the next week. Some of you guys are tricky, but we're going to have a good time. Y'all ready? It says this, uh, chapter 23 of the book of Luke, it says the doctor writes, now as they led Jesus away... They laid, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon of Cyrene, and it says that he was coming from a country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him. Women also mourned and lamented. And, but Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs. He's saying it's going to get so bad in Israel when they tear it down. He's, he's really forecasting even AD 70 when all of Jerusalem would be torn down, when the temple would be eradicated, when they'd be in, in, in surrounded by their enemies. He says that they'll say, blessed are those whose wombs are barren, that have never born, the breasts that have never nursed. And they, they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us. It'll be dire times until the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, he kind of throws this proverb out. And he says, what will be done in the dry? Basically, if a living, thriving tree is experiencing something this atrocious, what would happen to people that are dry? So he goes on, he says that there were two other criminals led with him, put to death. He was hung between the two of them. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, Golgotha in other language, it says they came to the place where they were crucified. And one of the criminals on the right and the other on the left, Jesus said to them, Father, Forgive them, they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and they cast lots. Over 400 prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And so while that most of them took place in the last day and, two, day, day and a half of his life, he said to them, Father, forgive them. They divided his garments. The people stood looking on them. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And on an inscription also was written in him letters in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. Little did Pilate know that he actually was doing something prophetic, that he was inaugurating a new king and a new kingdom in the earth. Then one of the criminals who was hanging next to him blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. But the other answered, he rebuked him. He's like, be quiet, shut up. He said, do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? He says, we indeed justly, we deserve, we receive the due reward for our, our deeds, our lifestyle, our choices. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said to, the, he said to Jesus, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's he say? Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, 
Jesus says something very scandalous, very shocking to a murderer, to someone that never went to church, maybe never owned a Bible, never went to vacation Bible college, never went to VBX, never went to Iwanas, Iwanas, Iguanas, I don't know, never went to any of that. Never tithed, never fasted, probably never prayed until this day. I would like to say that this is not a case study of how we want to risk our life. This is the exception, not the rule. But I would say this is a good rule right here. That God in wrath remembers mercy. He says something like this. Surely I say to you, my friend, that today you will be with me in paradise. I want to talk to you about the password of paradise. The password to paradise. Y'all ready to go? Let's pray together. Lord, we just love you so much. I thank you, Lord, that God, you are the, you are, uh, you're better than we think you are. That you're deeper than we can realize. That God, we as the clay cannot tell you as the potter how life is. But tonight I pray that you would somehow open up our eight pound brains to know you, to have a deeper knowledge, revelation of you. I pray whether we're far from you, we feel like we're not good enough for you, or whether we're serving you with all of our hearts, we ask you that you'd meet us here. God, I pray everyone in Orange County would know the goodness of God in the land of the living. Holy Spirit, come tonight. Bless your people. Help us, Lord Lakers, uh, next season. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All right, lost some of you on that one. Y'all doing good? I know it's a little dark in here, so don't, 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 don't go to sleep on me. Is that all right? And uh, I was thinking about this, though. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there before. Have you ever been locked out or forgot your password? We are living in a very troubling age. That there is so many, so many uh, people after hacking your identity. My wife has got more passwords uh, than anyone I, I know. I have one password. I'm kidding. John 3, 6. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, total pastor password. <laughs> Hacked him. I was thinking about passwords, though, man. Passwords are they're terrible to forget. And nowadays, you have to have a password, a backward password. You have to have an email verification, a text message verification. You got to give someone your social security number, your blood type, right? Your passport, your social security number. Tell them what type of deodorant you use. Come on. It's, in a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an involved process nowadays. Validate your account. I had a friend that got locked out of his Instagram account. It was like, a, it was like weeping and gnashing of teeth. People are like, what's hell like? Well, hell's like a couple things. Number one, the presence of God's not there. That's the biggest thing. But what is there is U-Hauls and people that hack your social media accounts. It's terrible. I shouldn't make a joke about that. But I do want to say that it's, 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 it's frustrating. It's, it's, it's trying when people, they hack into your accounts. Little did we know that Sandra Bullock back in the 90s when they made the movie The Net was so prophetic and uh, lost her identity. People hacked into her accounts, and uh, I was thinking about passcodes, passwords. Uh, when I was growing up, we didn't have uh, we didn't have good technology. Uh, I would say I'm I'm 38, and I would say that some of the greatest developments in technology have occurred in the last 15 years. I grew up with the worst graphics, but some of the best games made of all time. Who remembers the original Nintendo? I remember Nintendo. It had about four buttons. A, B, select start. Are you with me? Nowadays, game consoles have more buttons than like a, than a jet. Uh, it's like being in a, uh, like, like the pit of a plane that you're just getting ready to like, all right, what, what's altitude, elevation, air temperature? Uh, it's crazy. But when I was growing up, you had A, B, select start. 
And there was a game I remember playing uh, when I was growing up. I won't say the name of it just in case I don't want to offend anybody. But it was a game. I wasn't a Christian yet, so don't get judgy eyes. But it was a game that would actually give you, if you put in a certain code before the main music play, it was something like left, right, left, right, select, start, A, B, A, B. And if you put that in, in the first 10 seconds of that game coming on, it would give you like 100 extra lives, which was the only way to physically beat this game. And uh, I remember just putting in this code. I had no idea there was a code. Back in the day on Nintendo, they had this thing called Game Genie. And uh, it was like this little thing that you put your game into. It was gold. And it would basically hack all of your games so it would be easier to beat the games. And uh, just thinking, I don't know why, but I was praying uh, tonight and even this morning. And I was thinking about how powerful passwords and how powerful passcodes are. Passwords give you access. Are you with me tonight? They give you access. You have a password for your checking accounts. You have a password for your, for your stock trades, your portfolios. We have passwords for our HOAs, for our, we, we pay our, uh, our, our cell phone bills. We, we have passwords for everything and anything. Some of us have so many passwords, it's hard to remember all the different passcodes that we have. And I was thinking about this because we live in a complex world that we're trying to make sure everything is safe. And we go to elaborate, elaborate passwords to try to make things as safe as we can. And I was thinking about how God made it as easy as he can to give us an eternal safety. And many times we get it totally mixed up. We think that it's really complex. We think it's really, really hard. We, we overcomplicate things that are supposed to be simple. And we make simple out of things that are supposed to be very, very complicated. For instance, we put much of our time, effort, and energy into planning, plotting, and strategizing our 401ks, our retirement packages. We put time, energy into how much I want to have saved in 25 years, where I want to be at 65 years of age. And we put so much energy into the end of our life, but we put hardly any energy into our eternities. We never think about dying. What happens after we die? We don't go there. It's a morbid thought, especially if you're under 40 years old. We very rarely are conflicted, are confronted with death. Oftentimes until you're sitting in a funeral, are you in a good Friday service in the tents? Thanks for picking us up, preacher. I was thinking about the power of, of, of this, this password, this idea. What is, what is good Friday? What, what is good about good Friday? And I was thinking about Good Friday is probably the uh, probably the most um, uh, it's 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 kind of a misleading title for a day that was actually quite terrible. We know that two thousand years ago, if you if this is your first time in church, there was a guy named Jesus. He was a rabbi, about thirty three years of age. He had a three year ministry. He started off with the original youth group of all of churches. He had twelve kids in his youth ministry. They weren't the perfect twelve. They were the dirty dozen. And for about three, three and a half years, he did signs, wonders, miracles. He was such a good, he was such a good communicator that people forgot they were hungry. He told seas to shut up. He opened up blind eyes, deaf ears. He did miracles, signs, and wonders. John says that if we were to document all that he did, there would not be enough paper in the Library of Congress to document all that he did in his ministry. Here's the weird part, though. Somehow what he did in his ministry, it actually did not compare to what he did in his death. 
This is wild to me. Because many times in our day and age, we, we think, oh, the cross, that is a religious, that is a religious symbol. Like, for instance, nowadays, they won't even put, allow uh, government buildings to put crosses anywhere on their properties because it is so religiously exclusive. But I want you to know the cross started off as the most irreligious symbol of the ancient world. It was an offensive symbol. Crosses were not reserved for celebrities. They were not the, the means of death or execution for dignitaries. In the ancient world, the only people crucified were slaves or non-Roman citizens. The only Roman citizens that would be crucified were actually those that did somehow betrayed uh, Caesar. So this is a very, very low-ranking way of losing your life. What we do know is this. Over 10,000 people died on a cross. But what we also know is this. No one knows any of their names before Jesus. No one knows anyone that was ever crucified before Jesus Christ. We know a handful of others because they followed Jesus' lead. And like Peter, he got crucified upside down. So we know that the crucifixion was pretty wild. It was scandalous. What, what draws my attention to the crucifixion was that God, unlike any of us, he chose which way he would die. Here's what we know about Jesus. He was the only one in history that got to choose his family. Come on, how many would have chose a little differently? I'm not saying, look, I know you want your same mom, your same dad. But you're like, hey, at least if I could have picked them, they would have been rich. Come on. I'd have been like, dad, you would look more like Brad Pitt. Come on. Mom, you look a little bit more like, you know, Pastor Rochelle. Hey, squirt some points. You know this. You're like, if you were selecting your parents, you would pick the genetic pool you want to be in. You would pick the social uh, sphere you'd want to be raised in. You would select the country, the time. How crazy is it that Jesus is the only one to select his birth, the only one to select his family, and the only one to select his death? What's interesting about Jesus is there is no one else in human history that has stirred so many hearts and created so much controversy. Can you think about this for a minute? Is there anybody you can think of that has, has more controversy around his name? Is there anyone in history that has been so loved and simultaneously so hated? Yeah. It's crazy because we're pushing them out of our classrooms, our courtrooms. We're pushing them out of our politics. We're pushing them out of some even churches. And we're pushing them out of everywhere. But at the same time, Time Magazine, news, all these different huge article publications, they still put him on the cover more than anybody else. Society seems to have this emphatic love-hate relationship with this man that was born 2,000 years ago and died a criminal's death on a cross. No one else in history has more controversy over how they were born, how, they, how their life was lived, over the message that they shared, over the way that they died, over the way that they were buried, over the way they were resurrected, and over the way they claimed that someday they would return. No one in human history has created more stir than Jesus Christ. And I'm saying you love him or you hate him. You can't deny him. You can't diminish his name, his presence, his influence on the earth. C.S. Lewis said trying to diminish the, the, the presence of God is like scribbling the word darkness inside of your jail cell and hoping the sun to stop shining. 
You can't diminish God's light. And it's crazy here that, again, his birth, supernatural from a virgin. His, his life, full of miracles, mercy, and, and long-suffering love. His message is he taught love, not war. He taught a kingdom that was eternal and a power that was not from this place. How wild is this? That his, his death caused more problems than his life. And here's what I want to tell you. Even the greatest minds that are antithetical to the, to the theology of Jesus Christ being God. Even the greatest atheist of our days cannot explain how you start a world religion, a new sector, a new space of belief out of a man who died the worst, most humiliating, most shameful, gloriously awful death that anyone has ever died. No one would ever be proud to say, I'm following the guy that got electrocuted in the in electric chair. He's my hero. Yeah, the guy that got the death penalty, the one that lived on cell block six, the one that actually was, yeah, the one that was totally humiliated. He was beaten naked. He bled out. He couldn't even carry his cross all the way up the hill. Yeah, that's my hero. How do you start a world phenomenon from a man who died like a slave nobody that was a murderer, a scoundrel, and a thief? There is, no, there is no explanation of the birth, the sustainability, and the growth of the Christian movement, especially considering the origins of where Jesus began. I read one scholar that wrote it this way. This is crazy. If ever mortal man found a real hero on this earth, those men were the disciples of Jesus. They indeed were hero worshipers. Then think of this. Think of the shock and the shame which overwhelmed all of them at the cross. It was, it was so, so shocking that the martyrdom of Jesus for great clause, uh, for great clause, no glorious conquest won at that day. I love this. That his life, it says this, no epic to be sung and celebrated. No, the cross was simply an utter overthrow, a speechless failure at the time. It was, it was cruel, it was criminal, it was gross, it was full of injustice, an intolerable defeat of good by evil, of God by devils. He, their hero, their chosen leader, he was numbered with the transgressors, he was cast out, and the curse was upon him. Think then how their loyalty would burn in their hearts to do right and right this wrong, to clear his memory... And to save his reputation, to prove that gross outrage had been done to him, to magnify the life so that the death might be forgotten about. But nothing of this kind seems to have occurred by any of the evangelists. They literally glorified and gloried in the cross. They are clear with an absolute conviction that the best and most wonderful thing that Jesus ever did was to die a felon's death between two robbers if it was their hero's greatest heroism that he was executed as a common criminal. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him 
they didn't just notice that he died. They somehow gloried in the way that he was killed. There was something in his shame, his humiliation, his open exposure, and the unjust situation he was murdered in that they said that's where the power of God shows up. He was killed between two murderers, two thieves. He died on a cross that was built for a thug named Barabbas. And literally, Jesus opened up the cell of someone that was on death row, and they said to him, Barabbas, you're free to go. Jesus is taking your place. And I want you to know that 2,000 years later, Jesus is still opening up cells, and he's still letting people go, and he's still taking our place. The password to paradise was when the thief said to the other thief, be quiet, we deserve this. I'll tell you right now that we all deserve what Adam won us in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. People say, Mark, why did Jesus have to die? Because someone had to die. God made a promise. And here's what we know about God. God can't change because the change would insinuate that he can improve. That he cannot do. But not only can God not change, here's a big one. God cannot lie. And notice this in Genesis chapter 2, it says that God actually created death. Death was not created by the devil. It was created by God. But death was actually on a leash. Death had no power. He said the only way that death could touch you is that if you do what I told you not to do and eat of the forbidden fruit. Death was powerless until Adam and Eve did what they weren't supposed to do. He said if you eat of the fruit, you will surely... So what do we know in Genesis chapter 3? They ate of the fruit. The Bible has 1,189 chapters in it. We know that the first three chapters was God's original design, and the next 1,186 chapters was God getting us back to what he started. So what do you see here? As we see this, is that he says, I'm going to restore what was lost. The word paradise that we read in Luke 23 is the word garden, Eden, or future heaven. How crazy is it that Jesus would use the same word that was actually literally named for Eden in the book of Genesis? That's pretty much what Luke and John are trying to get across to us, is that somehow through the crucifixion, through Good Friday, through celebration of Easter Sunday, somehow the garden failure in Genesis was restored in the gospel narrative in John and Luke. Somehow the exodus of exodus became a new exodus in Luke chapter 23 and the book of John. Somehow he becomes the Passover lamb that covers the blood of the households, that causes people to be protected and leads us into new heavens, new earth, and into God's promised land. So what do you know about this paradise? Well, he promised him. He said, surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I believe the password to this thing was really simple. He said, Lord... Say with me, Lord. Lord. I think most people never experience paradise on earth or in the next life because they don't know the power of acknowledging who is the Lord. He doesn't just say, let me be with you in paradise today. He acknowledges in one word what his entire life denied. Lord, today, let me be with you in paradise. And I believe that when you surrender to Jesus as not just a God, a deity, we live in a world that's full of people. Even the Quran teaches about half the Old Testament. We live in a world that they acknowledge Jesus as a prophet. He's a good teacher. He's a religious motivator. He's some sort of some rabbi that lived in a van down by the river, Chris Farley would say. 
Tough crowd. But what we know is this, is that Jesus never gave us the option of just saying he's a good teacher. He never gave us a box to bubble in that says you're just a moral good person. He never gave us the choice just to, just to label him a good prophet. He never even gave us a little bubble to say that he is a little G deity and a sea full of other little gods. Somehow he came on the scene and made audacious claims about himself that he is the son of God. That no one can come to the Father except through him. That he is the staircase between heaven and earth. That he is Jacob's ladder. He's Gideon's fleece. Come on, he's Noah's ark. Somehow he had this thing that he was like, guys, listen, this is who I am. I'm the ark of the covenant. I'm the mercy seat. I'm, I'm the one that makes a way. And he comes on, it's really interesting here, and he says, if you want to come into paradise, here's how we come in. The password is, Lord, Lord, would you remember me? I believe that the cross of Jesus did, did four things. He restored four areas. The first thing that he restored with this password, of, of, of when, when he acknowledged him on the cross, the cross restored four things. Write this down. It restored, number one, power. First thing that was lost in the Garden of Eden was power. When we disobey God, we dis dishonor and disregard God, you will turn it on yourself. You can't out success fulfillment. You can't, you can't have enough stuff. You can't do enough bad things. There's, there's not, I, I don't want to be vulgar, but there's everything that the world is selling. If you get unlimited quantities of it, you will still find your soul spiritually anemic. We know this, that on the, in the garden, when they sinned, they lost power. They lost, where, where does power come from? It comes from the presence of God. He said, surely you will die. Here's the problem. They didn't die at that moment. There's three types of death. The first death is when, when you're separated from the presence of God. The second death is when the Spirit of God leaves you. And the third death is when your body is separated from your spirit, when you actually go into eternity. And I want you to know that the day that they ate of the fruit, they didn't physically die, but that day they were separated from the presence of God and the Spirit of God came out of them. I want you to know that some of you are here today, you're physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. Because the Spirit of God is not living inside of you. How do you get this power in your life? You have to acknowledge, come on, say it with me, Lord. There is something in that word Lord that invites God in. Master, owner, you are the Lord. Master, owner, you are the Lord. I believe that the password of the cross restored not only power to humanity, secondly, it restored purpose. I believe that all of us, what did he do on the cross? A couple things. He took on the sins of humanity. He didn't just pay for sins. It says he paid for sin. Somehow Jesus wasn't just, some people get it mixed up. They think that God was angry. They think that, I heard, I heard a little kid one time, they, I read the story about a little kid that was trying to explain Easter. And he said, basically God was mad at the world and he wanted to hurt him, but Jesus stood in front of us. That's a cute thought. Theologically, that's not accurate. Because the Bible I read says, for God so loved the world that he gave. It doesn't say that God so hated that he killed. God didn't kill his only son. God didn't hate the world. God so loved the world that he freely gave. He gave his son to die as sin, for sin, for you and me, so that we can experience the freedom and the love that he deserved. We don't realize this, but there is power that we don't have when we're not living with God and for God. 
I believe the cross was the password to humanity, accessing paradise not only in the next life, but in this life. How, preacher? Because number one, he restores power. Number two, he restores purpose. I don't know who you are and where you are today, but I believe that all of the purpose that God made you with is tied up in Jesus. It's tied up. What does God do with purpose? He fulfilled purpose by number one, fulfilling all the prophecies about him on the cross. So many things that 400 years earlier, I said this last year, but it's worth repeating. What would you think about a book that was written in 1800 that would forecast in the next 200 years that there would be two world wars, there'd be a great depression, there'd be the assassination of JFK and MLK, there would be, an, there'd be atomic bombs dropped, there'd be a great recession, there'd be this thing called Corona-19, was that COVID-19? Maybe it wasn't perfect. Stay with me. Think about this. What would you think about a book written in the 1800s that forecasted the last 200 years? Who would trust a little bit in that book? I want you to know that an extensive autobiography was written about Jesus 400 years before he was born, before his 33 years of ministry, detailing not only his life and his ministry, but especially his death. Isaiah 53 says that he would be bruised, that he'd be wounded for our transgressions, the chastisement of our peace would be upon him, and by his stripes, we would be healed. Jesus came to fulfill what, the, what all the prophets said. And not only did he come with that purpose, he came with another purpose, to give you and me an example. Sunday, I'm encouraging you to come back to come and see how good God is, how powerful God is. But I also want to tell you this. I want to be honest with you up front. He is so good when you come and see that you'll want to follow him and be willing to die. And that's what we lose in the Western church today is we want to come and see and taste, but we don't want to pick up our crosses like Jesus did and say, Jesus, if you picked up your cross, I'll pick up my cross. I'm not saying you have to suffer, look for suffering, try to make yourself suffer. I do believe that suffering has a, has a goofy, annoying way of finding us. But I do believe this, that the Bible teaches that he wants us to deny ourselves. He wants us to pick up our crosses. He wants us to follow after him. What do you put off? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We live in a world that's full of lust, full of pride, and full of all the other garbage that's putting on us day after day. What do you do as a follower of Jesus? Like Jesus on Calvary, I, I crucify my greed, my brokenness, my anger, my unforgiveness. I had 18 years to live for me and break my soul. But when I was 18, I said, Jesus, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Come on, you believe it tonight? Come on, give a good hand clap if you believe it. Almost finished. I believe the last thing that we know here is that it says that on the cross, he restores a way to paradise. Biggest thing that we get mixed up is we think that the cross was only about getting us to heaven. Biggest misnomer of the Western theological movement was that they think it's just about getting to heaven. If it was just about getting to heaven, the moment you believed, we should somehow just, we should all die. For some reason, after you believe, God lets you live for 10, 20, 30, 100 years. Why does God let you continue to live after you believe? Because there is something in the heart of God that wants to smuggle heaven into earth, not just smuggle some of earth into heaven. Are you with me? So I'm praying that this, 
this Good Friday, you would realize that there are some things that you can reclaim today. There is a power that is accessed in relationship with Jesus. There is a purpose that you will never know, an example that you'll never follow until you acknowledge the crucified Christ. And there is a paradise that's to come, and there is a paradise on earth as it is in heaven. We don't have to wait to die to experience God. I don't have to wait to get to heaven to taste heaven. I'll tell you right now, when we sing, I taste heaven. When I pray, I taste heaven. Come on, when I commune with the Holy Spirit, I taste heaven. God wants you to have the smell, the aroma of heaven on the earth. Do you believe it? I believe that when it's just about getting to heaven, we forget that the purpose of life is to be image bearers of Jesus in the earth. He wants you and I to be salt, to be light, and to remind the world of how good God is. He wants people to see you as your, as your executive job has set you up. Some of you are financial investors. Some of you are teachers and educators, lawmakers. Some of you are judges. Some of you are school teachers, doctors, attorneys. Whatever you do, God wants you to bear his image in the earth. Your purpose is to know Jesus Christ and him crucified and to pick up your cross and follow him. I'm telling you, I'm not lying today. If Jesus didn't die on the cross and get out of the grave, you and I would never know his name. The fact that out of a, out of the worst public, atrocious way of killing a human being, a world religious leader would create a phenomenon that would shake every continent, every tribe, and every tongue. There is no explanation how Jesus Christ being crucified could sweep the earth. Unless somehow in his death, in his resurrection, he had the power to restore our connection with God, restore our purpose in living, restore as the Passover lamb, and restore our access to heaven in the future and heaven on earth. I want to pray for you tonight. Would you stand on your feet? I believe that God wants to give everybody the password to paradise. What is it? The thief on the cross who never went to church, never went, never got baptized. Come on, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not in su suggesting that you don't do these things. I'm just saying, you're like, Mark, I'm too screwed up to know God. If that was true, then we would never read about a thief that went to heaven the same day Jesus did. Tonight, God is making room for everyone from the back to the front. I might not be able to see your hands tonight, but I promise you, God will see. So I'd ask you to close your eyes. Good Friday was good because Jesus was willing as the Lamb of God to take away all of our mistakes, all of our failures. Somehow this gruesome death made it way. It was, I wrote this down in my, in my prayer time today, that it was Good Friday, the cross of Good Friday, that was the front door to Easter Sunday. And we would never get into Easter Sunday without going through the cross of Good Friday. Tonight, I want to pray for everyone in the tents. If you've never known him personally, you never known his power, his purpose, his plan. If you never experienced this, this idea that, man, I don't have to be scared of death if I know who I'm living with and I know who I'm living for. Many of you are scared of death because you don't know what it's worth dying for. But I'll tell you what, man, these early disciples, they weren't scared to die. They were thrown in boiling oil. Some were crucified upside down. Some were thrown to lions, thrown to bears. Some of them, man, they were, they were stoned. 
but the, the one commonality was is none of them were willing to deny Jesus they believed that if their leader got out of the grave that they would get out of the grave so right now I ask in Jesus name every eye closed every head bowed if you've never experienced this personal relationship with a God that doesn't just promise paradise in the next life but he promises this Eden-like experience like Adam and Eve had before the fall that they would walk with him and talk with him in the cool of the day I want to walk with him I want to talk with him I want to have a relationship with him if you're here tonight at Oceans Church and you say Mark I've never known him but I want to know him or I used to know God but somewhere along the way I got off track and I want to rededicate my heart my life to Jesus I would ask you all over the tents tonight come on you can raise your hands all over come on go you can start raising them right now I'm gonna give you three seconds Lord I pray that everyone that's supposed to respond would respond right now I ask in Jesus name no one's good enough by themselves so I pray right now that you would come and you would remind them that we need a Savior I pray right now from the back to the front that God as they raise their hands that Holy Spirit you begin to touch their minds touch their hearts heal them everywhere they're hurting in Jesus name the thief said Lord remember me come on if you want them to remember you tonight you want to say Lord come on just lift your hands I'm gonna to count to three one all over the tents two tonight Lord I say know me hear me bring me back to Eden remember me tonight come on three real high real high real high I want to get my life back I'm coming back I'm coming back I'm coming back I see like eight hands nine hands real high real high ten hands awesome so good so good I see at least 10 it's hard to count in the back I think 11 I see you so awesome so awesome here's what we're gonna do tonight we're gonna not only pray those 11 or so that raised their hands I want to pray for anyone tonight that needs healing in their body Isaiah promises that Jesus was actually beaten not just crucified but he was beaten to deal with sickness in our, in our body I don't believe that everyone that gets prayed for gets healed, but you better make no mistake about it. I've seen many people that have gotten prayed for get healed. We believe that God is a miracle worker. We don't build our church on miracles, but we do build it on the miracle worker. Tonight, if you need a healing in your body, we're going to pray for the 11 in just a second, but if you need a physical healing, you have, you have cancer, you have some sort of uh, degenerate condition that your bones are decomposing, some of you have some sort of calcium buildups on your, on your bones. Some of you tonight, you have some sort of thyroid, serious thyroid issue. Someone ha has had a hard time getting pregnant. I pray tonight for anyone that needs a physical touch. Some of you, you're in agony. You're in shame. You're humiliated. You have severe PTSD. Something happened in the first 17 years of your life that has put you on the wrong path. I believe that God heals hearts, He heals minds, and He heals bodies. If you believe it, come on, say amen. Yeah, He's here, He's here, He's here, He's here. So all over oceans tonight, would you lift your hands if you need a, if you need a touch from God. Just lift your hands right now. We're not going to do anything weird, but we're just going to put a hand on your shoulder. I'd ask everyone that needs a healing in your body, lift your hand. And if you're near them, Oceans Church, come on, just put your hand on your shoulder. You don't have to be weird. The Bible says in Mark that we'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So as we put hands all over these tents tonight, we pray this prayer together in unity. You said if two or three of us ask anything in your name, we will have what we ask. So come on, Ocean Church, pray this in faith. Say, in Jesus' name. Come on, say, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that everything 
from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Mind, will, emotions, body, spirit, be healed by Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, fill them, heal them, restore them, and wash them tonight in Jesus' name. Let doctors document it. Yeah. Let, let it be proven miracle tonight in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now watch this. If you didn't raise your hand, but you can feel this presence right now. Someone put their hand on their shoulder. You felt like almost like electricity go through your body. That's the presence of God. That's not weird. That's the presence of God. Some of you are starting to cry right now. What is this? That is the presence of God. And that's you tonight. I want to do this. You didn't raise your hand the first time, but you know in your heart you're not living for Jesus. You're not living with Jesus. And you didn't raise your hand, but you were supposed to. Every eye closed. I felt like God says, I want to give you another chance. I want to give you another invitation. Would you raise your hand this time? I didn't raise it last time. Eyes closed. No one's looking. Heads bowed. I know there's at least 15 more people that you didn't raise your hand, but you were supposed to raise your hand. Would you just lift it really high right now? No one's looking. I'll give you three seconds. Go ahead. Start putting them up. Yeah, right now. That's me. That's me. Yeah, there's two. Yeah, real high, real high. There's three. Real high, real high, real high. In the back tent, four. I see you. Real high. Five. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're online right now, maybe we have a lot of people online. I pray in Jesus' name, even those watching, your heart's beating out of your chest. I would ask you to write heart, H-E-A-R-T. But I believe there's 25 people tonight, live in this service, that are going to invite God back in. Oceans, we pray this prayer with everybody that raised their hands tonight. Let's pray this together. People go, Mark, is this magic? No, it's just, an, it's, a, it's a point of contact for people to have something to grab a hold of to actually invite God in. So all over the room, let's pray with those 20 to 25 people tonight. Come on, say it like this. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I ask you to forgive all of my sin. I thank you that you died, took on my punishment, so I could take on your reward. Heal me, restore me, fill me, and lead me from this night forward. I invite you, Jesus, in your awesome name I pray. Come on, if you love them tonight, would you say amen? Come on, would you give them a hand clap tonight if you love them? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.